Hi, welcome to the Empower Ed Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Kaufman, and the purpose of this podcast is to empower teachers, administrators, and parents of public and private school students through uplifting conversations with people across the country. Our goal is to address the initiatives and programs that are having a positive impact on student learning and really get to know the educators who are making a difference in the lives of our children. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a few minutes that may give you an optimistic view of where education is going. Hello, everyone. This is Brett Kaufman, and today I am checking in once again with my guest Ovi Ogunajabo, Jordan Lewis, and Tina Ellsworth on our conversations about race. Our first series, Conversations About Race, began in the days following the murder of George Floyd. For this, the second series, I met with my guest Friday, July 3rd, to continue our conversations. In this series, we will check in on the response to our first conversations to see if anything has changed in our lives. We also wanted to respond to some of our listeners' questions, like how do we stay engaged in the work around equity and anti-racism? Our conversation begins with our check-in in episode one. All right, starting off today, uh, you know, it's good to have everybody back and uh, to sit around the table with all of you again uh, and talk about uh, some of the some of what's been going on since uh, the murder of George Floyd. And, and um, we had a really good talk the last time we were here. Um, and we've had a lot of comments and a lot of people uh, give us some feedback on, on our conversations about race. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, we're back in the room and we're back to uh, podcasting. And we're going to start with the same question that we started with last time, which is, how are you doing? And we're going to start um, again, Ovi, we'll start with you. Um, how are we doing? Um it's um it's, it's a roller coaster of emotions um if i'm honest um is some days are harder than others but for the most part you know i'm truly just blessed to wake up <laughs> so you know i thank god for that but you know as a black man it's hard right now just because my emotions are all over the place um I constantly go between standing up for myself and feeling empowered and feeling motivated and wanting to make change and wanting to fight this fight to um, feeling hopeless. And it's, it's times where we're having these conversations like we're having right now where, I mean, my emotions can go either way in a matter of seconds. Like, depending on what I talk about, I'll start watering up and I may shed a tear as I think about the family I have now and what my parents have done to provide the life what me and my brother and sister have versus trying to think about the life I want and how to bring a kid into this world and protect them as a black man. And that's just scary for me. And if it, it does empower me sometimes to want to stand up and make the change, but at the same time, it makes me feel very hopeless. And, um, you know, just don't, don't know how to process it sometimes. So just got to sit back and like, really reflect on your feelings and just take it a day at a time. It's, uh, it's hard to see what you see going on in the news. And you always think to yourself as a black person, like, what if that's me? And that's the scary part. 
but then you can't live your life in fear. So <laughs> it's that it's that tug of war between, hey, are you feeling empowered or are you feeling hopeless? And it's hard, but um, more days than not, I do feel like empowered. I do want to fight um, just because I know that's the only way to make change. But at the same time, I'll be lying to say if I wake up every day feeling empowered. Um, there are some days where my, my eyes do water just because I feel like I have a heart. I care for all people. And, you know, sometimes I don't fully understand why we're in this situation in 2020 and why we're still fighting this. The fact that people want to debate racism, the fact that people don't understand what black people are going through is just really troubling sometimes. And it redefines my purpose as an educator because I'm here to inspire the youth and make change. But at the same time, I think about my well-being and my mental state and I do feel like I'm going crazy sometimes and I do feel a little hopeless and I do feel like I'm barely hanging on. And um, if I don't have the support system I have, you know, I do worry sometimes that I might break. But, um, you know, my parents instill some core values in me that I'm very proud of and I have a great support system and failure is really just not an option. So um, going on with that very, very, very famous quotes, I choose to be the change in society. So um, I'm a little bit battered and bruises, but I'm, I, I still stand. I still stand. So you said something in there that I want to I ask you about real quick, and that is uh, you said that you had some people who wanted to debate racism with you. Yeah. Uh, tell me about that. Well, you know, and I, uh, this is just my, my, my advice for anybody who finds themselves in a similar situation. I don't debate racism because I don't think there's anything really to debate. If you think that makes me close minded, so be it. Um, I discuss racism and I discuss mm -hmm. people's feelings and I unpack my feelings as a black man. And I'm willing to help anybody, no matter the color of skin, no matter their sexuality, unpack their feelings. But I choose not to fight ignorance. You know, I want to be the change and to be the change is not to debate over racism It's to discuss our feelings and how we can overcome and make this world a better place. Mm -hmm. I'm not debating anybody over racism. I like that. It's not a sports topic where you have an opinion. I have an opinion and we can go from there. Um, racism, uh, it, it has put people's lives in jeopardy. It has killed many people. And I'm not about to debate that. That's a fact. You know, mm -hmm. there's nothing to debate there, um, but I will discuss it. Mm -hmm. I will discuss it. Um, I'm not here to perpetuate and continue hate. I'm here to spread love and I'm here to educate and help people inspire to be a little bit better than when I first met them. Very good. Very good. Is that do you feel like when they say de debate racism, is it the sheer existence or do they want to debate that it's not as bad as you think that it is? Like what what does that typically sound like? Um, well, a part of it is I try not to get into it because, and I think this is one of the most dangerous things out there with assimilation and gaslighting. They try to muddy the waters. Right. And when you muddy the waters, it gets real complicated and like things can easily be misinterpreted. And I just choose not to go down that route. I'm not here for you to twist and slander my words. Mm. Um, I'm not here to muddy the waters because it's like when you see a police brutality and you see an unarmed African-American get shot and I say it didn't have to be that way. And then the response is, but they committed a crime. And then it gets muddy from that point because, yes, they did. Yes, they may or may not have committed a crime. But does that mean that they die? You know, what's the whole point of the justice system if uh, the, the law is going to be handled right then and there? Mm -hmm. It doesn't make any point. 
And I just choose to say, like, I don't want to go down that route, because if you can't understand that, surely you will never understand how I feel as an African-American man. And I come home on the news and I see an unarmed teenager. I see an unarmed African-American woman get shot. I see an unarmed black man get shot. And then I turn on the news and I see a white kid kill, murder eight people. And then he gets apprehended and put in handcuffs and taken to get something to eat. If you don't understand that, then I mean, honestly, we don't really need to discuss or debate in any way, shape or form, because all you're trying to do is muddy the waters. Mm -hmm. And I'm not interested in that. So Jordan, how are you doing? Yeah, so this last you know month and some change for me has been quite different. I uh, I grew up, I have a black father and a white mother, so and I also grew up in a you know pretty well off suburban neighborhood. So a lot of issues of race. I had some privilege to um, be somewhat naive to. I was always aware that racism existed. I never. Um, was was so naive to think that race didn't play in a factor into my life and my and my father's life and my family's life. Um, but I had the luxury because I grew up around people who were friendly. Um, I grew up playing sports and around people who, you know, appreciated me for my talents in, in various different areas. And so I was taught and had evidence of giving people the benefit of the doubt in a lot of ways. And so my race wasn't always put in my face like it may be for, you know, members of my family or peers of mine who didn't grow up in those sort of situations. So um, for me, the, those rose colored glasses have kind of been removed um, in the past month. And I am I'm angry with what feels like all the time. And I walk around my neighborhood now, whether I'm taking a walk or out playing with my son or walking the dogs or whatever. And I see, you know, I live in Prairie Village, Kansas. So <laughs> if you can picture that as, as a black person walking around that neighborhood, the only black person, by the way, on my street for sure, my antennas are up now. And that puts me in a constant state of questioning and suspicion. How do these people view me? Um, because what I've realized as I've really taking the um, choice to, to dive deeper and get really involved in these matters politically, racially, and have these discussions with people, uh, you see both sides. You see really good people who get it and want to get involved and have the discussion, but you also see the flip side. The people come out of the, the woodworks a little bit, and you see those racist ideologies come out. And for me, I look at like a percentage basis and go, okay, that means there's a good chunk of people on my on my street in my neighborhood that might have feelings about me as I'm walking around and so that comes with a a sense of confusion anger uh, stress and added weight that I've never experienced before in my life so and 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 a weight that I don't think now will ever really go away quite like quite like how it used to so I'm, I'm, I'm navigating that. I'm trying to, um, you know, when I, when I hear Ovi speak, I, I hear a lot of, but on the flip side. And, and uh, so I'm, I find myself, too, trying to find that equilibrium of, like, I'm angry, but I got to stay hopeful. And I recognize that people might have hatred towards me because of the way I look, but I don't want to develop that hatred towards them because that's how they see me. And so it's a constant battle for me recently to find that equilibrium and find a middle ground that I can be comfortable with because I don't want to walk around 
I mean, I've, I've tried, I'm the, I'm the counselor, right? Like I'm the mindfulness guy. So I've, I've tried really hard these last several weeks to regain that state of kind of baseline peace of mind and I can't get there. So that's new to me, but, um, you know, conversations like these and then having the space to be open about it with, with colleagues like you all, with my family, with my friends, um, that helps, but it's definitely different. So. And Jordan, just to follow up on that, I, you know, we, we had spoken a little bit prior to this podcast Mm -hmm. about, um, kind of the work of Eckhart Tolle and the idea of, of a, of a collective pain body, like a, a collective memory that maybe, uh, or subconsciously that people kind of tap into. Yeah. Um, and just kind of, I, I, what I feel like I hear from you and you can address this and correct me if I'm wrong is you, you've really kind of tapped into since George Floyd, the murder of George, George Floyd, you've tapped into that, uh, that collective, uh, pain body. Yeah. And so can you, you know, as because that's that's very deep into mindfulness. Uh-huh. And so can you talk to that? Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Um, you know, like I said before, I, I kind of walked around the world with rose colored glasses. You know, if if covert racist things happened to me, I, I had the privilege um, to have a mindset where I attributed it to that individual, not so much a system that was sort of designed to see me that way. Um, So now I think about that and I'm more comfortable and able to sit with those feelings that come up of of anger, um, confusion, hopelessness uh, for the way things are. And whereas that used to maybe scare me because I I don't want to see the world that way, right? It doesn't feel good to walk around and be suspicious of how your neighbors look at you, right? Um, Or maybe, you know, an added layer for me being biracial, my own family. I I haven't talked to like people on my mom's side of the family about these things, but but those antennas are up too. And that's not a good feeling. Um, What I would do in the past is sort of shy away from that. But now, you talk about mindfulness, one of the big pieces of that is the ability to sit with your emotions and, and, and unpack what's going on. And so I'm in that stage right now of like unpacking that. It's a constant, it's a day-to-day, moment-by-moment thing. Um, but I think it's important because uh, you have to be more realistic about your experience. You can't shy away from everything, from every negative emotion because it doesn't feel good you have to you have to sit with it you have to unpack it you have to become aware of what it means and so i'm, I'm just in that place of becoming aware of what all that means and, and navigating the world from that space it, it might be more of a burden it might be uh, not might be it is more of a burden it's taking more of an emotional toll on me day to day but i think it's important because it's pulling me and driving me to to do things like this and have more discussions mm-hmm. And get more involved and and try to do what I can to make a change. So, okay. Well, Tina, how how have you been doing? You know, I always feel a little bit guilty answering that question, um, because as a white person, I will never feel that same kind of exhaustion that my friends of color, especially black people, are feeling. Um, and so there. Much like what Jordan said, I'm still very hopeful because I feel like if we if we lose hope, 
that's when we quit. And so we have to hang on to that hope. So I'm hopeful. Um, I have a renewed sense of urgency. Like this has been something I've been talking to white folks about for years, but now I feel like such an intense urgency that I, I'm a, I'm a lot more direct and I try to be more kind of in your face. Like I don't want anything that I say to ever be ambiguous to white folks. Like I, I feel like the, it's too urgent because people are dying and I want to, and, and so it's created a new drive in me and a new desire to keep doing like much like what Jordan said. I, I feel like, okay, what else can I be doing? What else? Like, I don't really have any other time in my day to fit something else in, but I'm going to, what can it be? What can I do? Um, and so always looking for, um, things to do. Um, I am noticing that what I'm trying really fervently to stay engaged as I see people become disengaged. And so I wonder what that ebb and flow of my friends, my white friends in particular are feeling like, are are people getting quiet now because they're in a state of reflection? Are they getting quiet now because they feel like things are quote unquote settling down and going back to normal and that, that negative peace is being restored to them that they can go back to living their life. Um, and I hope that that's not the case. I hope it's the former. I hope they're being reflective and thinking, what are my next steps going to be? What are some more things I need to learn about so I can prepare myself for doing more anti-racist work? Um, but I think that we had such a huge flux of white people waking up to racism after George Floyd that it was kind of like, we don't know what to do with all of you folks that are awake because we don't know how legit you are. Like, <laughs> is it because you really care because you're really going to do something or are you just jumping on a bandwagon that looks popular right now? Like I'm obligated to say something because other people are telling me that I have to versus I'm going to still be in it when it's not the thing anymore. Um, I hope it always stays the thing. I hope it doesn't go back. Like what we were seeing on the media right now, it's like, I remember when right after George Floyd was, was murdered that there was a ton of coverage on protests and whatever. And I saw people on social media saying, Oh, so I guess COVID's just not happening. So see, it was all, it was all fake. It wasn't really a thing. They were just trying to make you. And it's like, no, it was, it just wasn't getting the attention. Well, now that we're starting to see a resurgence of COVID and it's taking over the airwaves a little bit more, doesn't mean the protests have stopped, but it's going to feel like it to people. And so how do we keep people engaged? And, and I, so I just, I just keep telling myself, don't give up, don't stop, stay engaged, beware of um, toxic positivity, which is this thing that I keep seeing come up sometimes, which is this myth of niceness where just, just be nice, just be positive, i.e. don't talk about race and don't talk about people dying because it's making me feel icky in my heart. And it's like, no, that's toxic positivity because that kind of quote-unquote positivity is still killing people. And you think it's positive, but it's not. So when you make us feel guilty for talking about race and saying that's somehow negative, you're engaging in a toxic positivity. So don't, right. don't fool yourself. So, But I keep thinking about how are we going to change society. We, get, we can do this. Yeah. We can do this. Well, thanks for that. And I'll tell you, I had, uh, I've had more... Uh, uh, I don't know how to say. I don't know how to say the conversations I've had on this uh, since 
since we did this. I, I will tell you that for the first two weeks of after we after we aired our first conversation on race, it the response, the overwhelming response was completely positive that people were coming back and just they were listening, um, they were engaged, and they responded to to I think everyone and and me included very positively with with uh, thanks and appreciation, but also you know a commitment to to moving forward with this. And it wasn't until about two weeks in that I had some conversations um, with some people that where I learned that there was a, a separate, a different side, uh, to the comments that were, that were out there. And what I was faced with was, uh, I asked, I asked, uh, the people who were bringing me the negative, the news that there were negative comments and that, that people were not, um, just didn't feel comfortable with what we were saying. Uh, what what they said to me was, uh, I said I asked, well, can I can I get those comments from you? I, I'd like to read them over and I'd like to look at them. And I said, now these folks aren't, they aren't dumb. They aren't going to put this in writing. Hmm. And I, and and I went, Coward. yeah, that's that's pretty. And I'll, I'll, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll mark this as explicit now. Uh, I said, <laughs> you know, that was that's chicken shit. Why why would anyone do that? You know, why would, why would, I mean, if you're going to, if you got a problem with this, then you obviously, I, you know what, you obviously are racist. If you got a problem with what we said in our conversations about race to where you had to go behind the scenes, not put it down on in writing, go back door, back channel. To get a message to me, you're a freaking racist. You are a racist. That's what I thought. There you go. Which brings us to the <laughs> next. I mean, just call, I mean, we we do have to call that stuff out. And people, um, if you're uncomfortable enough to put your name on it, you need to sit in that. You need to sit in that because that is your. I hope you have a conscious. Um, but that's your conscious telling you there's something wrong with this, mm. and you need to just be quiet. You don't always have to talk. I think I think the other side of it is that that is probably why we got so many comments affirming us, is because at this point, if you are someone who is racist and you're going to go out there and comment on someone else's uh, about someone else's work that is anti-racist. You will be called out as a racist, and that's why you're not willing to put your name on it. That's why you're willing, you know. That's why you'll go through so many different channels to to get a message to someone, but not, but make sure it's anonymous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know what? I'm glad you're uncomfortable. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad you're uncomfortable. And and they're watching, they're watching, they're listening, and they're reading, because when you have that hate in your heart. When somebody's showering, when somebody's fighting back with love, you, you, you can't truly understand that. And that's what gets the best of them. And that's why I always tell people, kill them with kindness. Um, you, I, I like to call them cowards. 
because like I said in the first the first time around, when you know what's right, but you don't want to do it because it makes you feel uncomfortable. Are you afraid of how people that look like you are going to receive it? You're being a coward. And that's what happens. And that's why many racist people, there are cowards Mm -hmm. until they boil over and they get so mad that they they have to just say something that try to bring you down their level. And that's why they can't stand it. That's why the KKK, that's why they covered their faces. Uh, They were cowards. They didn't want to put their name on it. Well, put your name on it. Yeah. Because you know what? You know what some black people want? They want to look a racist person in the face and say it to my face. Mm-hmm. And like, let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. And let's see what happens. You and so, like, this, that almost because at least you know where you stand with that person. Absolutely. Right? Instead of walking around with the antennas up, that was the analogy I used earlier, right? Where you're not sure. You're not sure who who thinks what and where they stand and where they see you. Um, and, and to me, that goes back to like, when you talk about mindfulness, to hear, to hear people who claim to have this viewpoint but then won't stand by it. That's cognitive dissonance. That's you. You have this mindset, um, and part of you knows it's wrong. Part of you might even want to change it. Mm-hmm. Part of you might be ashamed of yourself for having it. That's why you wouldn't be willing to put your name on it, because all four of us are are putting our names behind everything we're saying in this podcast. Right. So the fact that you have this mindset, but there's that little tug, that little pull of discomfort that that's telling you maybe there's some reflection you need to do but you're not willing to do it. That's the fear that, you know, that a lot of people turn away from that. A lot of people aren't willing to sit with that and, and unpack because their identities wrapped up in, well, I've always thought this. My, my dad thought right. this. My parents taught me this way. And it is cowardly mm-hmm. yeah. to deconstruct that narrative of your life and, and develop a new belief system. Right. And it's okay to change your mind. It's okay. It's it's okay for you to have been socialized this way and change your mind. And just just if if you're confused because so many people are just so confused right now. Like I don't wanna come off racist. I don't wanna piss off black people. Put it like this. If you can confidently say it around a group of white people, but you can't confidently say it around a group of black people you might want to think about what you're saying. And it's that simple. Like, if you can say it with confidence around your white peers, but when you get around a group of black people, something deep down inside you says, like, I don't feel like I should say this. You probably should ask yourself, well, why? Why won't you say it? You know, that's a good point. And I'm going to say that the person who brought this to me um, was a white person. And... uh, and it was and and it was people that this person knew right and so this they were just saying to me hey you know this is what i'm hearing this is this is the negative stuff that i'm hearing and you know i'm going to go back to that if you're a white person and you're hanging out with a bunch of people who are saying these things then you need to take a good look at your friend group and either get rid of them or say something. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's a lot of white people that they claim that they don't know what to say. Like they don't know anything about racism and now they're 30 or they're 40 or they're 50 years old and they're like, how did I get through my whole life? And I can't talk about this and I don't know what to say or I get uncomfortable mm-hmm. or whatever. And there comes a point, folks, where you have got to acknowledge that you're engaging in willful ignorance. 
you are literally choosing to say, I don't know about this, but I have done nothing to learn about this. And I'm just going to sit there and still complain that I don't know anything about this. And maybe when quote unquote, everything settles back down, then I won't feel so unsettled anymore. And it's like, you cannot be a, a grown person in a democratic society and be able to throw your hands up and say, I don't know anything about that and it's not my fault. Like, take some ownership of your ignorance. You don't know something. Go and learn a thing or two. And you know what? If you do say something inappropriate and somebody calls you out on it, there's this wonderful thing called an apology where you can just say, I had no idea. I'm sorry. I will not do that again. I'll go and be better and I'm going to go learn about that. Boom, done. But instead, all these defenses engage. And this is a, a term that's been um, floating around from Robin D'Angelo about white fragility. Is all your defenses engage that then actually inhibits the work of moving forward. Your, your white guilt engages, your white rage engages, and it completely stops the work from moving forward. Mm-hmm. Don't let yourself feel those things. Move through it and reject that willful ignorance and just learn something. And, and, and Brett, what what somebody's willing to tell you as a white man, yeah. they're not willing to tell me as a black man. Well, Ovi, I don't think they're willing to tell me this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I bet I bet they're not. I bet right. they're not. And also, and this is for everybody out there, because I know sometimes you find yourself in a situation. Be cognizant of your friends who are telling you those things, because if they're willing to tell you before you respond to like that conversation, challenge them by saying, well, what did you say back to them? Mm-hmm. Like, what did you say back to them when they made this borderline or this very racist comment or criticism? Did you check them or did you just accept it and you're telling me? Because that tells me a lot about you. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to Empower Ed with your host, Brett Kaufman. Send us your comments and feedback by becoming a member to the Empower Ed Network. You can find us at www.teachempower.com. That's www.teachempowered.com. And remember to spell empowered with an I. Because when you're empowered, every student learns. Take care and subscribe to our channel for more uplifting conversations about our educational landscape.